Hey friends, Jason Miller here, and this is the South Bend City Church Podcast. As always, if you'd like to stay up on other things happening with our church, just go to southbendcitychurch.com, and you can sign up for the email newsletter or use the website to see what's happening. If you'd like to make an offering, go to southbendcitychurch.com slash give. And if the podcast is your primary source of connection for our church, select podcast when you make a gift, and that'll just give us some context for your generosity. Uh, as always, whether you're a part of our local community and using the podcast to catch a week that you missed, or you're a part of our long distance family, we love you and we hope this serves you well. 11 years ago, I had an experience that changed my life. And I mean that quite literally. There was a before and after in my life around this experience. And the basics were I went to Southern California and I spent a couple of days in a room with a wise guide who asked me a lot of questions. He asked me about where I've come from and where I'm going and what I've experienced and what I feel within me and what I have to give in the world and what I've received. And after a couple of days of what felt like an excavation or like a root canal, uh, this really powerful thing happened, which is after a bunch of questions that were mostly about my past, mostly about where I've come from and who I've been and what I've experienced, after a, a, a total inventory of my life up until that point, I uttered words that they came out of me, literally, I spoke words in this room with this wise guide. I said these words and they were about my future. And when they came out of my mouth, I was both terrified and thrilled because I didn't even know that they were in me. But when they came out of me, I know they were true and they were trustworthy and they were something that had to be said and they scared me because there was risk entailed. But there was also this just incredible clarity around what had come out of my mouth and where it would take me in my future. Now, I've, I've thought about that experience a lot because I don't know about you, but like things are often murky. And there's rare moments when you speak something that you know is true, that you have to live up to. That's a powerful moment. And I could use more of that. Maybe you could too. And so I've wondered like, what was it about those two days that made it possible? What was it about the conditions of that experience that helped me unearth that thing inside me about where I was and where I was going? Well, in thinking about that, I've also thought about a friend of mine who writes memoirs, and he's, he's done really well at writing memoirs. And um, having not just published memoirs, but having thought a lot about the art of narrating your past. This friend of mine says the power of memoir, the, the virtue of memoir writing, or just narrating your past, he said it, it brings healing, clarity, and empowerment. He said it brings healing because so many of us spend so much of our lives trying to run from the past or deny the past. There might be pain back there or shame back there. And to narrate your past is actually to turn toward the things that you're running from and face them. And so he says there can be healing in the act of narrating your life or writing a memoir. And he says there's a clarity that can come from this act. And I suspect the clarity is that while we like to think that we are these like logical, rational, data-driven human beings who make our decisions with all the evidence on the table and pro-con lists and spreadsheets, like the fact is we are still story-driven creatures. And we derive a sense of identity and meaning and future and purpose from the story that we've lived and the, and the way that we tell that story. And so to go back and narrate your past can often bring you to a place of fresh clarity about who you are and where you should go from here. And the third thing he said about this experience is it can be empowering. That when you go back and you narrate, when you tell the story of where you've been, it's empowering because you get to decide how you want to tell that story. 
I mean, when you narrate your past, whether you write a memoir or you sit in a room with a facilitator who draws it out of you or you journal every day, when you narrate your past, you, you don't just list the biographical facts and details, right? You have all these choices to make about what kind of frame of meaning you want to put around those experiences. So for example, like maybe you got divorced at some point in your past. And that would be a biographical fact. If you had a Wikipedia entry, there would be a, uh, a date for your divorce in it, right? But the, the question is, like, how do you narrate that experience? Is the divorce the day that you confirmed your worst fears, that you were just difficult to be with? Or is your divorce the day that you were about to discover just how strong you are? Right? I mean, same fact, different frame of meaning. And it's empowering to go back and write about and think about and talk about where we've been because we get to decide how we want to narrate those experiences. And when I was in that room in California, I didn't actually write a memoir, but I had done a bunch of work ahead of time and had written out a bunch of my life. And then we actually put my life up on the board. We kind of drew these charts and we used categories like we looked for the highs in my life. Like where were there mountaintop moments or experiences, affirmations or opportunities that were really exciting for me? Moments that told me who I am or that gave me a sense of strength or joy. And we put those on the wall. We wrote them out. And then we looked for the lows in my life. Where were things at their worst? What, what did it feel like for things to be at their worst? What were the hardest experiences I've been through? The most grinded out, grit-driven experiences that I've been through. Moments when I lost hope or thought I would lose everything else. And we chartered them. We put them up on the board. And then we looked for the turns, and often the turns were between the highs and the lows. Sometimes uh, a turn took me into a low. Sometimes a, a turn took me up to a high. A turn might have been uh, when our family moved growing up, or a turn might have been the day that I decided to go to, to college, or a turn might have been the day that I switched my major in college, or a job that I took, or a relationship that got started, or a relationship that ended. And we charted those turns and began to develop a sort of life story on the wall. And then we looked for the threads. The threads are, are those things that are woven through everything and you often don't see them in the moment. But when, when you step back and take in the whole, you discover some constants, some consistent things that were always there for you, even on the days when you didn't feel it. And uh, looking for the threads was perhaps the most powerful part of this experience. When I, when I sort of stepped back and looked at uh, what at the time was almost three decades of my life. Now, um, this whole act of like narrating your life and discovering healing and clarity and empowerment from it. This isn't just some modern exercise with some like life planning guru in a room in Southern California. Uh, this is actually uh, the kind of thing that is all over the Bible. And by the way, everything I'm telling you right now, I promise it, it's going somewhere because I'm about to pitch you a practice that we're going to embark on as a community. But let me take you to the Bible first. And I'm actually going to go back to a psalm that we looked at last year during COVID when we weren't gathering, but we were doing some video teaching. This is Psalm 30, and there's a very particular reason that I'm going back to this psalm rather than picking out a new one as we talk about narrating where we have been and talking about the highs and the lows and the turns and the threads and looking for healing and clarity and empowerment. So hang with me. This is Psalm 30, and the psalm begins with a superscription. That's that little bit in the italics above the psalm that sometimes tells you who the psalm came from or what it was used for. And this superscription, this says, a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David. And then we read Psalm 30. Let me read this for you. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies glow over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. 
You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. I said, what is gained if I'm silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, help me. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Well, let's make some observations here uh, as we talk about narrating our past. So for whoever wrote Psalm 30 and wherever this comes from, some things happen, right? Like if you were listening, you noticed that there was some kind of sickness or some kind of thing happening to a person that was getting them down and then they cried out to God for help and they were healed. And apparently there were enemies gloating over them. So those things happened in some form, at least the way that this person tells the story, right? But not only did these things happen to this person, but this person made some choices. They, they made some interpretive moves. Maybe you noticed that the first choice they made was to actually write it down. And then that's like the most obvious thing about every word in the Bible that we could just gloss right over, which is if there's any wisdom here, maybe one piece of wisdom is they took the time to not just live these things, but to reflect on these things and not just reflect on these things, but to externalize that reflection, to write something, to say something. Uh, perhaps they composed this poem in their heads while they were walking uh, over days when they thought about what they had just lived through. And then maybe they shared it with friends around a fire and it became an oral tradition that they repeated from time to time. But at some point it was actually written down. So first choice they made was not just to have this experience, but to reflect on it and then to externalize that reflection, to get it out and to put it down on something. And the second choice they made was an interpretive decision about how they thought about these events. If, if you listened closely, you heard the psalmist describe this experience of sickness and health and enemies. They described the whole thing in relationship to God. As if to say that there is this largest possible cosmic frame that we call God or the divine or the creator, and that they see this sort of everyday human experience of sickness and healing and enemies, they see all of that everyday experience being lived against that largest possible cosmic frame interacting with God, uh, as if God is part of their sickness and part of their healing and the one that they cry out to. And that's an interpretive choice, right? I mean, we could have reality TV cameras observing this person's life the whole time that the thing that he's describing or she's describing is happening, right? And we would know if we were watching with cameras, we'd probably know that they were sick and that they got healed. We might have even heard them pray if they prayed out loud. We might have seen some enemies who were gloating over them. But I don't know that the camera would be able to pick up or have any proof of this interpretive move that the writer makes to say, all of this was happening in, in some kind of interaction with God. And so the writer talks about uh, the high of being well before it happened and the low of being sick and the low of being gloated over by enemies and the turn when they got better. And they talk about this thread of God woven through this whole experience, right? Um, I raise all of this because I want to pitch a practice for our church community, whether you're local or part of our long distance family. 
And one of the reasons I want to pitch a practice is actually during COVID, we, we've been able to like, you know, put out some teachings and do some stuff like that. But it's been harder to have our practiced life together the way that we had before COVID. And we, we want to get back to that as quickly as possible. Practices, not performances, is one of our mantras as a church. And we mean a few things with that. We mean that your faith doesn't have to be a performance, thank God. We mean that you don't have to prove yourself to us or God because we start with grace and acceptance. But we also mean that we don't want to just show up and passively receive a performance. That to be a church, to be a community, is to be a practicing family. And so uh, not just this week, but over the next couple of months, we want to live... Uh, breathe new life into this rhythm. And so we're going to teach a week and then we're going to practice a week and then teach a week and then practice a week. So I'm teaching this for a moment, but then I want to pitch a practice for all of us. And here's, here's what I want to propose. I want to suggest that coming out of COVID life, a whole bunch of us are desperate for some healing and some clarity and some empowerment. I think we are looking for healing from the wounds that we've sustained in this past season. I think we are looking for clarity in the middle of this strange new world that we are walking out into, where it's not really clear like what has changed and what will go back to being the same. And I think we're looking for some empowerment after a season where a lot of us have had a lot of reason to feel like victims, to feel like circumstances were more powerful than our own agency in the world. So I think we're individually looking for healing and clarity and empowerment. But I also think as a church family, as, as a big spiritual Jesus-following family, we could also look for some healing and clarity and empowerment right now. So here's the practice pitch. Here's the thing that I'm inviting us to do individually, but also collectively, as you'll hear in a moment. Uh, first of all, let's reflect on the last 14 months. Let's reflect on pandemic life from the day it started until now. And let's not just reflect on it, let's narrate it. Let's find a way to externalize the story that we have lived through in the last 14 months. So I'm proposing that in the next few days, you carve out some time, you get yourself a journal, a notepad, maybe you type this out on a computer, but you do some looking back and some narrating. Maybe it'll help you to think about, like, when did you first sort of get seized with an awareness that this pandemic thing is happening and it's going to change things way beyond what we might have imagined? I know for me, it was very distinctly the Thursday where uh, our church has Thursday night gatherings and Sunday morning gatherings, and it was a Thursday afternoon. And for a week or two, like we'd seen that, okay, this COVID thing is real and it's coming and it might call for some changes. I, I remember being really proud of myself because I had this little talk with myself and I was like, hey, Jay, you should probably brace yourself that we might have to shut down gatherings for like a whole two weeks. That's how like I underestimated this experience that we were about to have, right? So I thought through that, but then there's the moment I'm actually sitting in the chair, like getting my hair cut. And it's just a few hours before our gathering and I get a message from one of our, our team members who points out that the governor has just ordered the suspension of public gatherings. And I remember thinking, okay, all right, so, so this is here now. And so we get the word out and we cancel the gathering for that night and for Sunday. And because we didn't have church that night, I instead went to a friend's house for a bonfire in his backyard. And so I, I so viscerally remember driving from my house to his. And the route from my house to his took me through the East Bank neighborhood here in South Bend. And you locals, you might know Hammer and Quill, that bar right there on Jefferson across from Howard Park. And Hammer and Quill is usually like really busy at night. And frankly, half the time I drive by, I see a bunch of friends inside, a bunch of church people in there hanging out. So I'm driving by Hammer and Quill on a Thursday night when they should be lit up and busy, but bars are shut down too. And so it's just dark and empty. And I felt something like a shudder go down my spine. 
And then I head over to Ironwood Road and I drive south and I get to the intersection by the train bridge at Lincoln Way. And I look up and I see uh, one of those LED billboards and it's flashing these messages from the Centers for Disease Control, from the CDC, and their warnings about the pandemic. And between the bar being dark and the LED billboard, I felt like in that short span of a drive, I had just stepped into a different world, this kind of dystopian universe. So like that's, that's the day for me. And as I do this practice, I'm gonna start there with that moment. And I'm gonna work from there until now. And I'm inviting you to do the same in the next few days. Actually like write it out. It might help you to use your calendar. Like it can be really hard to remember what the last 14 months have been, so use your calendar. Although the joke of course is like, there may not be much on your calendar in the last 14 months except for like canceled vacations and canceled social plans, but that's also part of the narrating that we're gonna do. So you could use your calendar. You could also use your photo album. A lot of us are walking around with a really beautiful, raw, transparent archive of our lives with all these snapshots right there on our phone. What a beautiful tool to help you reflect on what the last 14 months have been. So maybe use the calendar, maybe use the phone. And then I would ask you to look for the highs and the lows and the turns and the threads. The highs, I've heard from some who would say that they had some moments with their family, some memories were made with their family in this season that were rich and were different than the kind of life they enjoyed with their family before COVID. So maybe there was a special experience you had with your family or a pattern that you chose, or maybe you would just say throughout COVID, family life has been one of the highs and here's what that has looked like and felt like. Uh, I know for others, by the way, that family life has actually been one of the lows in COVID. Like perhaps it's been really hard to be stuck in the house with these people all day long, every day. And like e-learning with the kids at home and trying to do your own work from home. Uh, maybe your relationship with your partner, your spouse, or a close friend has been really strained in this experience. And maybe there was a moment where it hit a breaking point. Maybe there was a fight that erupted or uh, a silence that grew between you and somebody else. Uh, in the wake of a hard conversation, maybe that would be a low that you would narrate. Maybe, um, maybe the lows had to do with um, trying to figure out how to make ends meet when you lost your job. Or maybe it was mental health. I don't know about you, but for me, like my mental health varies from day to day. You know, it's kind of like a sine wave, it ebbs and flows. And then uh, during COVID, that wave got bigger and the lows got lower for me and they lasted longer sometimes. Maybe you'll want to narrate some of your mental health through the highs and the lows. Uh, look for the turns. Were there any turning points in the last 14 months? They might have been COVID turning points, like when you got a vaccine, maybe, which is great, right? Or maybe that don't really have to do directly with COVID, but it's just in the last 14 months, a turn happened. Maybe you moved. Maybe losing the job was a downward turn. Maybe finding a new job was an upward turn. Maybe um, losing some relationships was a downward turn, but maybe finding some new people in your corner was an upward turn. Uh, look for the turns. Look for moments where there was a little fulcrum uh, that life sort of pivoted on and there was a before and after that moment. And think about what was at stake in that turn and where it came from and what life has been like on the other side of what happened there. And then I would encourage you to look for the threads. When you sort of step back and look at the last 14 months, where have been the graces that have sustained you? What has sort of held this thing together? Like the way that your life is woven together, where are the threads? The threads, the thing about them is they can be so subtle that you miss them when you're living through them. But when you step back and take them in, they can be really beautiful and meaningful and overwhelming. Uh, here's an example of a subtle, simple thread. 
For me, my relationship with the natural world around me has been really sustaining during the season. Whether it's meant walks outdoors or the fact that the place I live has these big west-facing windows, these very tall windows, and, uh, and there's a bunch of trees out there. And what I've discovered living there is that at the right hour of the evening every day, this gorgeous golden sunlight beams in through those windows. It sort of cuts a shaft of light across the main living area of my home. And honestly, it's so beautiful and simple and peaceful that there are days now when I make a plan to be in that room at the right time of the night to see it. And frankly, before COVID, I spent so many evenings out with meetings and connecting with people and working that I was hardly ever there in my home to see it. And uh, there was something so grounding and good for my soul about just seeing that evening light every day. So for me, the, the natural world has been one of those threads, a place where I have felt uh, this benevolent presence of God sustaining us even while things have been so hard and scary. So will you do this in the next few days? Will you go back 14 months and will you look for the highs, the lows, the turns, and the threads? And will you take some time to actually narrate them, write it down, find a page to, to put this down? I think you'll be surprised at how much opportunity there is for some healing and clarity and empowerment. But here's the other thing. Uh, this is just the first part of the exercise because the other thing is we're gonna come back together next week on Thursday and Sunday. And I hope you can make it. Uh, make sure you sign up for a gathering, uh, but we've got Thursday and Sunday morning. And we're gonna actually use the whole gathering to gather up some of these reflections and experiences that you're bringing in. We're gonna ask you to share about the highs. We're gonna ask you to share about the lows. We're gonna ask you to narrate some of those turns and explain some of those threads and a big old exercise that we call the open floor. Now we've done the open floor a lot if you've been around. Usually it's a few minutes in a gathering where we throw out a prompt or we check in on last week's teaching or a practice challenge that we had. And we just ask like, what did you learn? How did it go? And people are free to raise a hand and speak up for a bit. But this week, rather than doing that for a few minutes as a little sort of part of the gathering, this is gonna be the centerpiece of our time together because for the next couple of months, we're doing Psalms and practices. And the practice isn't just you at home, it's us together. And we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna hear all of that, we're gonna celebrate the highs and we're gonna make space for the lows and we're gonna narrate the turns and look for the threads together when we come back together. Now, um, back to Psalm 30, there's a note here that is the reason I wanted to like, come back to this text as we talk about this exercise that we're gonna have together this week. I mentioned there's that superscription at the beginning of the psalm. And so up top there in italics it says, a psalm, a song, for the dedication of the temple of David. Now here's what's interesting about that. If you recall the psalm, the psalm's telling a very personal story. This person had a sickness that brought them to the brink of death or some other suffering. And they cried out to God and they were healed while there were enemies that wanted to gloat over them. This is a very personal story. This is a sort of a private, personal, intimate experience that's being narrated. But here at the superscription, it says, this is a psalm for the dedication of the temple. The temple is the people's house. It's the place where they gather together to be with one another and to worship God in Jerusalem. And scholars have, have wondered about this. The assumption among most is that this superscription was added later after the psalm was written. And the best theory that I can find, the one that seems to have the day right now among people who study this text, is that at some point in the life of Israel, this person's story, this person's experience, and the way that they narrated it was received by the whole community. And the community said, we, we will not only make room for this, we embrace it and we will celebrate with you and weep with you and we will call it 
our story and that when you share your story, when you bring the highs and the lows and the turns and the threads into the gathering and we hear it together, it'll be an occasion to rededicate the house that we share as a place of mutual belonging because worship isn't just private, it's also a way of knowing that there is some social solidarity between us because when we worship, it ought to reinforce the fact that not only is God with us, but we are in it together with one another. So this, this is why we're, we're doing this, not just to hear from you or hear from you, but to bring these stories in together and to, to rally around them as a family. And because I think it's about time for us to rededicate this space in Studebaker that has been haunted with your absence for the last 14 months. And right now, as we are gathering back together indoors, it is so good to be back together. And I think we want to renew our hope and our vision for what this place is in our life, that it's a place for healing and clarity and empowerment. And so we're gonna narrate these stories, but we're gonna do something else when we gather uh, this coming week. We're actually gonna create a communal psalm in real time. So it's gonna be a bit like a mad lib, like I've got some templates and we're gonna infill this, this prayer opportunity with the words that come into our gathering and the stories that are told. And by the time the gathering is done, we're gonna have a big, beautiful, quirky, eccentric, creative, communal psalm that we will have written together to gather up the last 14 months and own where we have been and celebrate where we are and look forward to the future together. So come to the gathering. If you can't make it, we're gonna find some ways to digitally connect you with what happened in our gathering. And so keep an eye out for that next week. Uh, but in the meantime, let us look for the highs and the lows and the turns and the threads. Let us look backward for healing and clarity and empowerment. Let us bring our stories into the center of the gathering with one another, sisters and brothers on our left and right. Let us make room to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And let us remember that we belong together even as we discover God with us as we tell the story. And may grace and peace be with you.